0: Tonight, I'm going to move in just a little bit different of a direction because uh, normally I would just jump in and uh, I would preach our Focus 52, but as you know, if I've been your pastor for very long, I keep a close eye on the Bible calendar. Some call it the Jewish calendar. It's the Bible calendar. You won't find January, February, March, anywhere in your Bible. But you'll find Nisan, Tishri. Why? Because it was the calendar that they went by. And it's also the calendar that Jesus Christ still goes by. People wonder why in the world we worry about anything uh, to do with the Hebrew biblical calendar. And the reason is because every single mighty act that Jesus did as far as that held weight eternally he did it according to that calendar for instance I know Rome would never want you to know this but Jesus was not born in December they'd hate for you to find that out and it would cost American Express a lot of money my personal belief is that Jesus was born during the Feast of the Tabernacles because John 1 said that The word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. I believe that um, we have some pretty strong foundation to stand on at the time of year that he was born. It was not winter time or they could not have been watching their flock by night. It would have been too cold even in Israel. There's a lot of things that we could go by, but just to give you kind of some highlights on how this thing works, I believe that's when he was born, but in the springtime, you've got The Passover, which we know that Jesus was crucified on the Passover, he had shared the Passover meal with his disciples. Not only that, he also lined himself up perfectly with the pre-Passover duties that not only the high priest would have done, but that the people were to do. The day of the lamb on the 10th of Nisan, when the lamb was to be brought to the high priest to be checked and be sure that it had no scurvy, to be sure that it was spotless and blameless, was on the 10th and they took it. And kept it in hiding pretty much for the next three days until the 14th of Nisan at Passover when it would be killed. Jesus came riding into Jerusalem to show himself to the priest on the 10th of Nisan. Powerful. On the 14th day of Nisan, he was slain, the Passover. And then we understand that he was buried and uh, was resurrected on the feast of first fruits. Very powerful. He was raised back to life. On the feast of first fruits. Why is this important? Because this is when the first fruits are offered to the heavens by the priesthood. That's when he was resurrected. We also understand that uh, there was a little feast that took place in Jerusalem about 40 days later. That was called Pentecost, and that's where we were born. All right. Amen. 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 And Pentecost. Sunday is always a special day for us because we celebrate our roots. And a lot of people that consider themselves to be Pentecostal will celebrate their roots through Azusa, through Topeka, Kansas, through several places. I just prefer to keep it with the book. I like celebrating with the book of Acts, the second chapter where the church began. Amen. So we have before us some pretty powerful things. We just came through um, what uh, rabbinical history calls uh, the Jewish New Year, but it is known uh, as the Feast of Trumpets. And it's really about the only thing that Jesus has left to fulfill is the Feast of Trumpets. He fulfilled the other feast of the Lord and His actions. Uh, this is uh, tomorrow will, will be uh, Yom Kippur the Day of Atonement and that has been certainly fulfilled through the blood and through the righteousness of god in christ being crucified buried and resurrected but the feast of trumpets is really all that he has left we just came through the feast of trumpets why is that important to us because we're led to believe that at the last trump the last trump the last sounding of the trumpet. That the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them. It's the last fulfillment. Now, this is powerful. This is not what I'm preaching. But if you look on the calendar between the spring and the fall feasts. Out of all of the feasts, the longest period of time is from Pentecost... To the Feast of Trumpets. All right. The longest season of time on the calendar is from Pentecost to the sounding of the trumpet. I believe that we are closer and closer every day. His spirit has been poured out. Shavos has taken place. Pentecost is a Greek word that talks about Shavos. That's, that's what Pentecost is. I'm telling you right now that if we have ever been ready, we better get ready. I believe he's coming. I believe he's coming. And uh, there's some places you could go. I don't want to get sidetracked because I'm never going to get finished tonight. But I believe by the feast, I believe that the Feast of Trumpets would represent the rapture of the church. Yom Kippur would... Represent the judgment of God, which hopefully means we'll go in the rapture and then tribulation. I hope Uh, there's some strong indicators in that direction. That's my desire. Of course, if not, I want to be ready to face whatever we have to face. Amen. Amen. Scripture leads us to believe, and and I always try to be very careful with these things to not make them. The hill that I die on, but Lot got out of Sodom before the fire fell, and Noah got on the ark before the rain fell. And you have to you have to believe or hopefully believe that even though we're in tribulation now, it's not the great tribulation. And I don't know. I, I wanna be very careful because I'm afraid that sometimes we get our sails set in just the right direction and nobody can move that and uh i'm not saying necessarily that rebutting anybody's eschatological view i'm just saying that if you've got a certain time set in your mind that he's coming perhaps post-trib and you get a surprise and he comes pre-trib you're going to be found looking towards Jerusalem saying, well, when are they going to get this temple built so I can come back and get my life in order? And my thing is, whether it comes back pre-mid or post, and I, if, if I'm talking to you out of the pulpit, I'll talk to you pretty strong about it. I can tell you this. I may not live till the rapture. And so if I don't live until the rapture, then I better be ready for the rapture at my departure. Praise God. So, tonight, uh, I'm warning you, it is 7.30. I will take full time tonight. I'll be here till 8.30. And I want you to put on your, your listeners tonight. I very rarely say things to you like this. But what I'm going to teach to you this evening is not milk. I'm going to bring you some steak. So, I, w- I want you to get ready. If you're sleepy... Shake yourself, do whatever you got to do. Don't fall asleep on me tonight because God's going to help us. And God has given me a word for this church. If I've ever known in this season that we're in, I have heard from the Lord. I'm going to preach to you tonight, and God's going to help me. So in Leviticus, you'll find you can remain seated. You'll find in your Bibles, in Leviticus, the 16th chapter is where all of this atonement or the feast that's called Yom Kippur is established how the atonement worked Several years ago I preached a message in this church called the law of the sacrifice. There were two goats that were presented at atonement. Very powerful story. The goats had to be exactly the same. One was La Donai one was La Zazel and the priest would select the one of two goats. The La Donai was the one that was Offered to the Lord for the sins of the people. The Azazel was the one that was released into the wilderness. Uh, What English have transcribed as the scapegoat. The Hebrew word is Azazel. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. But I, I I want to go deep. And I'm going to trust you to look through Leviticus, the 16th chapter. I'm going to be in and out of it tonight. Weaving through a basket weave. Of this narrative that is it's insane I have been glued to the word all day today I had to uh, literally make myself stop to eat dinner with my family tonight before church because I believe that God wants to speak to us I want to tell you tonight church family that I believe in realms of distinction. I'm going to preach to you, teach to you tonight about realms of distinction. God, I need you tonight. You have spoken to my heart, and I feel your mighty presence so close to me right now. Let your blood speak for me tonight, Lord. Let your word come alive in this place. Let your power manifest. Let angels walk up and down the aisles. Help us to search our hearts tonight to know you, Lord the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering. In the name of Jesus, cover this building, cover your people, open our ears, open our hearts, prepare the soil. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray that the church say amen. Amen. I'm going to go tonight to the deep end of the swimming pool, so I need you to please, please stay with me. And if, if you get stumped, go back and listen to it, but don't stay there. Because I'm going to take you somewhere and I've got to lay some groundwork tonight The Lord made it plain In his word that Abraham's descendants Would be his portion And he chose to disinherit the nations at Babel And there was a uh, Diaspora so to speak a, A scattering of the people And the Lord took His remnant, He chose to appear to Abraham in human form to call him out and to initiate a covenant relationship. He chose to reiterate that covenant relationship with Abraham's son Isaac and with his son Jacob of whom He renamed Israel. And it was in this seed that the Lord promised that He would bless and He would multiply As the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. He then not only kept his name on those people. But when they went into Egypt into slavery. He chose. Everybody say he chose. He chose with a mighty hand. To bring them out of Egypt's tight grip. He chose Abraham. He chose Isaac. He chose Jacob. Ultimately choosing Israel and he chose to bring them out and the choices that God made telegraph some deeply remarkable theological messages to you and I here tonight. Israel existed because God had supernaturally enabled Abraham and Sarah to give birth to Isaac. They continued to exist because God, Hashem, Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, God wanted a people on the earth by his own plan and his own power. It's not that God just chose a certain race of people and said, that's what I want. God selected a people that would be separated unto him, that he would put his name upon. And if you weren't a part of that, then you separated yourself in whatever part of the world you were sent. At Babel, But God kept his hand on man. Now, his desire from creation was to dwell with man, to commune with man, and for man to dwell with him and to commune with him. And the serpent, Lucifer, Satan, the fallen angel, the former cherub that covered in the presence of God, came down into the garden and tried to thwart God's plan of communion. But here is what you need to know. That Lucifer himself found it impossible even when he manipulated the hearts of men. He could not prevent the will of God. You cannot forget that tonight at the foundation of what I'm teaching you. And hear me plainly. There is no power in heaven or earth or in hell or any other space or dimension that can prevent the will of God. If you believe it, say amen. How do you know that? Because there is no God like our God. Before the plagues and the exodus from Egypt the descendants of Jacob knew only of God by his reputation and by oral storytelling if you would if I could say it like that God was a part of the oral tradition that was passed down. Now they're at this mountain and they are Ready to journey to the land that God had taken for himself and for them. And the Lord begins to inscribe with his finger in front of Moses the law of God that began with Ten Commandments. But you and I both know without going into great depth tonight, that was merely the starting point. God began with Ten Commandments, ended up with 613. Only in the written law. It was obvious that God was trying to etch some things In the hearts of his people. Egypt and her gods had now been defeated. But the conflict, and this is so vitally important, please stay with me. The conflict with the gods, small g, and their nations was just beginning when the children of Israel made their exodus. When they left Egypt and got into the wilderness, we find That gods and idols were ubiquitous everywhere. Idolatry surrounded them. The worship of other gods was everywhere. And God's jealousy was proven time after time after time. It was obvious that there was a plethora of other gods and other choices that you could choose to worship if that's what you wanted. But if that's what you choose, you automatically choose to lift God's hand off of your life and God's hedge from around your family and around your people. God is a jealous God, and if you believe that, say amen. Amen. So, being God's portion or of the seed of Abraham... Meant separation and hear me very closely from the gods of the nations and the other nations themselves. They were to separate themselves wholly and not just H O L Y but W H O L L Y. Somebody say holy. holy. It's good to be holy, holy. Yeah. If you believe that, say amen. amen. To separate themselves wholly unto God, that means. You don't flirt with it. You don't play with it. We find out you don't marry their wives, and you don't have children with them, and you don't invite them to sit down with you. It was a problem over and over and over. It seemed as if it never went away. It was always there. At every season, there was always something vying for their attention. And I want to tell you tonight, you are no better than anybody that was written about in the Word of God. There will always be an opposing spirit of gods of this world and idolatry that will be pulling for you and vying for your attention. And the only way you're going to have a relationship with God. As his portion and the apple of his eye. Is when you are very, very intentional. That you will worship the Lord your God. And have no other God before him. Period. Somebody say amen. Amen. So. They have to prepare themselves to stand against the gods and the people that would oppose them. With that thought process in mind. The children of Israel were familiar with the concept. And this is where we're going to teach tonight. They were very familiar with the concept of realms of distinction. In other words. There would always be a very clear defining line between God's people and everybody else, and none of that would be blurred. You know, when you start going through the law and you look at the ritual parts of the law, and and, and I don't I don't I don't want to be uh, at all crude, but you, if you just, I mean if you read the law, you see it from. Uh, having sexual relationships with someone to a woman menstruating to whatever these were things that caused him to be ritually impure this was not sin for a woman to be on her cycle it was the absolute proof of the difference between deity and humanity God was showing in the ritualistic laws that you could not just be any way you wanted to be in your humanity and be close to him That even if things that were happening in your life were out of your control, you were going to be intentional if you were going to be close. Oh, God, I want to get this to you. So, you must know that God, and I'm going to use some words here and I'm going to explain it as good as I can, but God is Elohim. He is not mortal man. God is Elohim. He is so different than mortality the word that i would like to use is that god is so otherly he's he's separate he's so distinct from us in all of his ways he is distinct from us so much so that when he created man by himself in genesis chapter one the word said that the lord looked at him closely and made him in his image and he was so much like god that he said it is not good for him to be alone and he starts working on this man and pulls a woman out of him. And if I had time, I'd preach on that right there. God took all the woman there was out of a man. There's no woman left in him. And he didn't give him the choice to choose. He took the woman out of him, left him a man, and made a woman. And he said, i made male and female, and that's my final word. I want to tell you something, man. If there's any woman left in you, it ain't God's fault. That's not how you were created. God is so other, he is so other, and I know this is going to be deep, so don't leave me. But God is so other, if I could say that, that he is literally to be incomprehensible without the facade of something like humanity. In other words, it is things like the veil of flesh through the Old Testament that you see the theophanies or... The Christophanies, however you prefer to use that, how God would appear to people. God would appear to them through many different things. And I don't want to get off here, but you've got Melchizedek, you've got burning bushes, you've got different ways, theophanies that God shows up. And that's how God has to show himself because no man has seen his face and lived. So God has to show up in some kind of a facade for men to even be able to see him and comprehend what he's doing. He is so powerful and so otherly that his otherness would need to remain an ever-present consciousness in the minds of his people. Are you still with me? He was so different than his people. That he had to figure out a way to always keep his difference, his otherness in the forefront of their mind. In other words, don't you ever forget that you and I are not the same. And through every process of holiness, he is commanding them to keep that reality In their senses and to be cognizant of his otherness at all times in their reality. It's going to be that way. I'm God, you're not. Somebody say, he's God. God. And I'm not. not. And am I forever more thankful. But the concept of otherness is at the core of Israelite identity. I'm fixing to take y'all somewhere in Jesus' name. Because otherness or distinction, bishop, is the core of holiness. Okay? Somebody say holiness. Holiness. Somebody say "Holiness." holiness. The Hebrew vocabulary for holiness means to be set apart. To be distinct. This is one of the most powerful statements that I'm going to make all night long. So I want you to think about this, and I'm going to repeat it. I'm going to read it to you the way I've typed it. While the idea of holiness has a moral dimension related to conduct, it is not inherently. About morality. It is about distinction. Oh, I have waited to get right here all day long. There is a sense of morality that's dealing with the distinction. But it's not just about morality. It's about being distinct and plainly so. That it would be extremely evident not only to you. But to all that are around you of who you belong to and what a difference he makes in your life. Oh God. So you must understand that there were concrete object lessons in the scripture about the realm of distinction. And I believe if I had six weeks to teach on holiness I could teach this one lesson And make it happen in six weeks. But there was such a distinction of him. And his people. That even the ground that encompassed the tabernacle. The piece of earth. Was clearly distinct. From the rest of the wilderness. It was so distinct not because of the piece of property because that tent moved all throughout the wilderness but it became distinct not because of the soil but because of the presence and the presence that dwelt above it in that form that facade the pillar of cloud by day the pillar of fire by night The glory cloud that hung over that camp, there was a distinction. You understand me when I tell you this, that when you were dwelling in the camp of God's people, you were in a distinctly different place than the rest of the wilderness. So I feel my help about to walk up in here right now. I'm telling somebody here tonight that you may be in this world, but you are absolutely not of this world. The rest of the wilderness was a scary place to be with fiery serpents, with scorpions. But when you got under the glory cloud, there was a distinct difference. You were in a different realm, in the distinctive realm of the glory of God. Oh, mm. both So this otherness, this distinction leads to realms of distinction were so, so perfectly crystal clear. And that's why God didn't cut corners. It was so perfectly clear. The separateness of the divine realm itself was actually so powerful that it was reinforced by the laws that allowed. And I hope I get this crystal clear to you. That allowed the proximity of closeness to Yahweh to God for instance in the tabernacle you walked in from the outer court Woo. man I feel the Holy Ghost here you stepped in through the gate into the court of God you walked through the first curtain with the five posts and you were in the holy place you went through the next veil And the scripture called it the most holy place. So as you draw closer to him. It draws you closer to holiness. And there were realms of distinction. Between how far you could go. My God I feel him. It was a matter of. How clean you had to be to get that close. As a matter of fact. Even. The price of the sacrifice was different the further you had to go into the most holy place. Everything from what you wore, and I wish people would just get over it and realize there's always been a distinction. The closer you get to his holiness, the more holy you've got to be. And you can't just draw holiness in the 21st century from a line on line, precept upon precept, wear this, don't wear this, go there, don't go there. The times have changed. The most important understanding is the word distinction. There will always be, because there's always been realms of distinction. And if you want to be close, then you've got to be holy. the closer you got man I wish our whole church was here tonight I hope somebody's tuned in online watching tonight the closer you got to his presence the more holy the ground became are you hearing what I'm telling you if you don't believe that before there was even a tabernacle Moses is standing there looking at a bush it's a facade. He said, Who are you? He said, I am that I am. He said, And you need to take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. The closer in proximity, tonight I'm not saying this to be an isolationist but I'm telling you it's worth whatever it costs to get as close as I can get the holiness zones if I could say that distinguished even what the priest had to wear as they moved in now I want to draw a parallel to get to where I'm going. Realms of distinction were established very plainly in the creation account. As God created, and I love this, the first thing that God did was He separated. He separated light from darkness. People want to know what existed first, just read your Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. The darkness was there, but the light came in. God said, let there be. And when light came in, he separated the light from the darkness. The devil does not like it when you understand there is a difference in light and darkness. And it was not established in the book of Acts. It was established in creation. Hey God. So the fact that God dwelt in a tent. It's really not a big deal. We're going to get there. So God had a realm of distinction in the garden. You have to believe according to the creation account elder that there were. There was life outside the garden because he said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply to multiply in the earth, he said. In other words, outside the boundaries of the realm of distinction in the garden, there were new territories for them to take over. But that was a distinct place that God had for communion with them, to be with him, to speak with him, for him to speak with them in the cool of the day. But understand that it was in the realm of distinction in Eden... That Lucifer, the fallen angel, crept in to a realm of distinction because somebody wasn't keeping the gate at the realm. The enemy always attacks at the realm of distinction and will cause the people that are playing the game with him to turn their focus to what they cannot have regardless of how good what they already have is that belongs to them. The idea is let me get you distracted from all of the blessings and the favor of the Lord and turn your attention in the direction of that one thing that God said you cannot have. And all he's doing, and God have mercy if we can't see this today, is he's blurring the lines of the realms of distinction. Prove it, pastor. Okay, he's afraid that if you eat the fruit, then you'll become as... As what? what? See what I'm saying? He's trying to delete the realm of distinction. You are not Elohim. You're not going to be as Elohim. You are not a celestial being. But the enemy wants you to believe if you taste the fruit that God's just worried. Uh So there is is quite a connection from Eden to the tabernacle. And I could spend some time here. If I showed you my notes, I I could spend some time here. But the tabernacle is very, uh, if I could say it like this, it's very uh, Edenic. In other words, it's very much like Eden. There's a lot about it that I could break down for you. For instance, the way the Lord laid it out in Eden, you came into the garden, the eastward side. It was a cherub that stood at the eastern gate and guarded, as you went in, the presence of God. In the tabernacle, it was a cherubim that were over the mercy seat that guard the presence of God. Just one thing after another, over and over and over and over. But the Lord chose to dwell in a tent, in a tabernacle, in the wilderness as a marked space of distinction. The tabernacle or the Mishkan, the dwelling place of God in the wilderness... It was a place that he chose for his presence to dwell and his glory to dwell there. And so we understand that in the days our our minds are so jacked up because we read everything from American perspective. We really don't get it sometimes. Uh, We see the Bible through, even very sadly in our movement, we see it through creedal lenses. It's like we read the word through filters. Do you know what filters do? It keeps the part out that you don't want. We read things through filtered perspectives. I'm afraid sometimes just how much the broad brush stroke of Rome has touched Pentecost. We read it through a filtered idea. There is plenty of scriptural reference and and, uh, Eastern understanding. It's so crazy because if you wanted to come in through the tabernacle, you had to come in from the east and work your way to the west. But we feel like doctrine starts in the west and works its way to the east. We're going to show the whole world how to have an American church. So I mean, since God's an American, we're going to go to foreign fields and convert everybody to an American church. We're going to take it from the west to the east. And the principle was from the east to the west. In other words, if it started in Jerusalem, it's going to end in Jerusalem. And everything in between is going to look like what happened in Jerusalem or you're not involved. You can like it or lump it. That's not Pentecostal. It's scripture. So it was known that in the realms of distinction, which children of Israel were used to, that the gods of the nations that surrounded them always, the gods of Egypt, the gods uh, of the Amalekites, just walk through it, the Philistine gods, that they all had tabernacles or tents and dwelling places. Some of them believed through superstition that their gods dwelled in tents on tops of mountains or hilltops or Uh, treetops whatever but their god dwelled in a tent why was that because the people of that day understood the realms of distinction that if you were going to worship Baal then you went to the temple of Baal to worship and you didn't go play around with the god of the Amalekites you went over to the temple of Baal and that's where you offered I can't wait for the church to wake up and get that boy that went over like a lead balloon I'm gonna tell y'all something that blows my mind and I'm getting ahead of myself I'm gonna talk to you a little bit tonight about some demonic things that we we really just pass right over and don't look at but I'm, I'm gonna tell you something that's sad when I was a kid growing up there was a little cartoon that was as harmless as could be called Smurfs remember that yeah. you know that there was an old man on there named Gargamel yeah. had a cat named Azrael you know those you remember those you know who Azrael is? Azrael is the angel of death, he's a demon they named the cat after the demon of death Gargamel is demonic, a literal demonic name and we were raising our children to laugh at Gargamel and Azrael we literally take our children to the temple of gargamel and tell them to worship yahweh yet even the greatest pagans in their day realized that you don't go to jerusalem to worship baal there were realms of distinction and the Lord established it, and he told Moses exactly how to build that tabernacle. And there's a reason, because it was Edenic. It was in order. It was after the order of Eden. It was God reestablishing what was taken in Eden, what was lost. We see it all the way over in the New Testament. He came to seek and save that which was lost. That's not talking about humanity. He knew where humanity was. But he asked the question in the garden, where are you? Not because he wasn't aware. He was looking at Him. He said, where are you as in like, what's wrong with you? You have never walked in this before. Why are you there? Why are you walking in that? So now my will will be no matter what I have to do to get you back to that realm of distinction where we can be together. Because something was allowed to walk into that realm. Now you've had to walk out of that realm. Oh my God. Because of what you let in, you got cast out. Shouldn't that be the other way? Shouldn't it be what we have the authority to cast out so we can stay in? So the heavenly tent above, if you would, Isaiah talked about it in chapter 40. The tabernacle on earth was built like the heavenly tent above. In other words, what was built on the earth was in alignment with what was built in the heavens. Does that sound anything like a prayer that our Messiah taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come. Come on, somebody tell me. Thy will be done done in earth as it is in heaven. He said, Moses, I want that tabernacle in the earth to be like the tabernacle in heaven because I want what's in heaven to be established in the earth. I tried this through creation and man dropped the ball. But I want to establish in the earth what I've already established in heaven. So in the garden... I came to man, but you need to know that in the tabernacle, man's going to come to me. They're going to come to where I'm at, and there's going to be a way that they approach me from the east, and they're going to pass through the gate, and they're going to pass through the altar, and they're going to pass through the laver, and they're going to come. Man, I could walk you through the whole deal and take take you through the whole deal, the way established every piece of furniture. We walked into the left, and you had that candlestick, and you had... In the middle of that altar of incense. And on the right, you have the table of shewbread. And I could walk you through that. We could teach the Godhead from nothing but the tabernacle. If you want to know about Jesus, understand the tabernacle. It's all there. You walk through the gate and you got the altar. That's repentance. You got the lever. It's the, uh, the baptism in Jesus' name, the washing of water. You walk in through those five posts, who I believe really just kind of my thoughts here. I heard uh, Bishop J.A. Mangan saying, and I felt like it's right, that you got the five posts. Perhaps, I wonder if they represent. Isaiah 9 and 6, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Wouldn't it be something as you walk through that revelation into that holy place and you got the illumination of the Spirit of God over here lighting it when you pull that curtain? It's the only thing for thy word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Oh God, I don't have time to stay there. But there were realms of distinction for everything. And God wanted it to be in the earth as it was in the heavenlies. The heavenly tent prototype is what he wanted in the earth. And the Lord begins to establish some things and he makes it happen. The scripture tells us in Isaiah 40 and 22 that it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens as a... And spreadeth them out as a... What? As a tent? He stretched out the heavens as a tent? And he told Moses, I want you to make me a tent. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? There were realms of distinction that he was not satisfied with anything less. So this kind of language is also why the earth is referred to in 66 and 1 of Isaiah As the Lord's footstool for God sits above the circle of the earth, said Job in nine and eight, in his heavenly tent, on his throne above the waters which are above the firmament, and he rests his feet upon the earth. Eden was the place. That humanity experienced the presence of God. So too would his tabernacle be. It was a powerful place. I wish I had time to walk you through it, but I got to get to where I'm going. And so God begins to establish in the earth through his people. Get out of Egypt. I'm going to take you into the wilderness. But I'm going to teach you some things. I'm going to start separating you. And as soon as I get you in this wilderness, I'm going to be sure you understand the realms of distinction. You're not like the Egyptians, so quit talking like it. You're not supposed to go back to Egypt, so quit acting like it. You're not going to serve any other gods. The safest place you can be is right here in the realm of distinction because when you open your tent every morning, there's going to be manna there. And when you gripe about that, I'm going to drop you a little quail in there and you're going to be picking that out of your teeth and still griping. But you'll never get cold at night because there's a pillar of fire. You'll never get hot in the day because there's a pillar of cloud. I got you. But you got to stay in the realm distinction. And so he begins to establish in the Levitical book how that sacrifice would be established in this dwelling place of God. And man, I wish I could go deeper with this tonight, but I'm already treading deep water here to try to get to you. And so it begins to establish you have to understand that you're looking at a, a Deuteronomy 32 worldview where every nation is governed by their own God. Sounds kind of like a 2021 worldview. They're governed by their own God. And so the Lord says, "If you're going to be my people, then you're going to be governed by me. And we're going to establish beyond a doubt the realm of distinction, and you're going to learn how to sacrifice to me." And He started talking to them about the law. And how the law would separate them. And Paul talked about it. He said, if I hadn't known about the law, I wouldn't know what sin is. It was the law that revealed to me that I was a weak man. It was the law. That's what the law did. The, the law revealed their humanity. That's all it did. It revealed their humanity, his deity. It revealed their humanity. Somebody say their humanity. Their humanity. And his deity. his deity. The nations of the world were under much less of God's no power. No authority, many of them created by the hands that worship them. How sad is that? Yet God said the hands that created you will be the hands that cover you and protect you in the wilderness. So as we get to Leviticus, the 16th chapter, now in fast forward, we come to the day of atonement where these people have recognized His holiness. They've recognized their humanity. And so now there's a situation and Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, The reason it's established over a two-day period is because it has to do with the the, the solar cycle. And they want to be sure over that two-day period that they hit it at the climax at just the right point of the sun and the moon. And everything's just right. They want to be sure because that's what the Lord told them to do. And I I don't want to lose you here and and run off. But it was vitally important for them to understand that what God said is what he meant. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And so in the 16th chapter and the 7th verse... It says, he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. This is where the angel stood in Eden. The thing that kept them out would now be the thing that would allow them to, oh, never mind. Shall take them to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Get this in your mind now. Aaron shall cast lots on the two goats. One lot for the Lord. And the other lot for the scapegoat. This is that English word. For some reason, King James Version, it's translated scapegoat. In the Hebrew, it's Azazel. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. Verse 10. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the Azazel, the scapegoat, shall be presented alive before the Lord. Why? Because he's not a sacrifice. He's alive. To make an atonement with him. And to let him go. For a scapegoat. Into the wilderness. So in the Hebrew. It said that. The priest was to take one. Faladonai. This one belongs to God. This one belongs. To Azazel. Adonai. Everybody say Adonai. Azazel. Man, you guys are speaking Hebrew. And it's not good, I'm sure, because I don't speak good English. The word Azazel in Hebrew can simply be translated as simply as the goat that goes away. But in the Hebrew Bible... It is actually a proper name in 16 and 8. This messed with me. This is what I was talking about with the whole Smurf idea. We read things through a western lens, so we're not familiar. But did you know that Azazel is literally, absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt. I don't know that I would recommend you looking this this up and chasing the rabbit hole, but... Azazel is found in some of the Dead Sea Scrolls and other ancient literature as a demon god. Small g, of course. The best way that you could describe Azazel is that he was the demon of the wilderness. And if it is a fact that one lamb was for God, one ram was for God, and the other for the wilderness and how, what would this mean for us what would it mean for us that they would allow a scapegoat to go into the wilderness and i've heard it preached all my life about the scapegoat actually the scapegoat part's pretty scary if you've ever studied the scapegoat because scapegoat it'll, it'll just run out into the wilderness and and live a perfect life in green pastures okay as a matter of fact after the temple was built it even got a little bit different they actually walked that goat Just outside of town. Backed it up to a cliff where it couldn't see where it was going. And they pushed the sucker off a cliff. Killed it. But in the tabernacle. In the wilderness. There was no easy way for it to happen. So they take. And I wish I would have brought one with me tonight. But they take the the ladunai. The goat unto God. And they wrap. A red wool cloth. Around its head. So that it is marked. Separated unto God. Now don't leave me here because I'm fixing to take y'all somewhere. And they want to be sure that they don't get the two mixed up. The priest is standing there. Has in one hand, if you would, if I could just make it simple. He has a, in a little box a, a, a parchment or paper, whatever, inside that says for God. And the other one says for Azazel. And, and they, they select this one and he puts it on there. He says, okay, this is for God. He ties a red string around it. And they separate it unto the Lord. They carry it off. And they slay the ram. After that ram has been slain, the sins of the people on it. There's another ram now that represents the shame of these people, the sin that's been committed. It's time for atonement. And so they take the same kind of red wool and they tie it around its head, its horns. Now this one's marked, but it's marked for a different reason. Because this one is to be led through the people. and They... they, they lead this one through the people, and they lead it out into the wilderness. Now, this one that they have killed for the Lord, it's vitally important to understand that this is the blood that will be shed. But this blood was never, in your Bible, read it, the blood of that realm was never put on the people. It was put on the mercy seat in the tabernacle. In other words, the blood only went on the tabernacle. Why? Because the realm of distinction was the house where His glory dwelled. Am I making any sense? He didn't dwell in the hearts of his people yet. Oh God, the blood don't get on it till he's ready to dwell in it. Well, God. <sighs> My God, I wish I had a fresh pot of coffee so I could keep it going tonight. And so now we've got the blood that's going to be put on the mercy seat, and this is going. To, this is all going to work for the people, and I'm giving you the the hurried up the the, the, the hurried up. Uh, Anglo-Saxon version here As quickly as I can But what do we do with this ram here We've got it tied up We've got the, we've got the red on it and in, in, in Isaiah the first chapter There's a neat little scripture Tucked away there That said though your sins be Red as Scarlet So they take the red scarlet And they The scarlet red And they wrap it around it And they walk it progressively Through stages Brother Jordan They take it From tribe to tribe Through every level of tent. They get it to the outskirt of the camp. And they lead it out into the wilderness. But why did they put the scarlet thread on the ram? Because this ram was not unto God. It was unto the darkness in the wilderness. And that ram is now marked with a red scarlet thread. And the people on the furthest outskirt of the camp. If at some point in the day after that ram was released into the wilderness, they were to look up and see a ram with red scarlet around its head trying to come back into the camp. They knew that that had no business coming back into the camp. Why? Because the sins of the people had been pressed into the head of that ram. When the priest put his hands on that ram, He took the sin of the people and he put it on that ram and they sent it out of the camp. Why? Because there's always been realms of distinction. And you don't take the sin of the people that's now been excommunicated from the camp and allow it to walk back in. You put a mark on it and let the world know that's not what we are anymore. And it passes out of the camp. And if you see the red scarlet line, you don't let it back into the camp. He said, I need you to be careful, and I need you to watch. We've already put a mark on it. Now we know which one has the sin of the people. And once the sin has left the camp, we don't invite it to come back in. Let the scapegoat. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Don't let your kids walk over and pet it. Oh, my God. I don't even have to have an amen. I know I'm preaching right now. Don't, 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 don't let your kids get out there and say, Daddy, that's a Q-goat. You don't understand what's on that goat. The sin of your mother and your daddy and your family. Don't you dare let your kids start petting around. You know what that is? It's the same thing as dipping your hands back down in the blood of what's already been forgiven by Calvary. Don't pet the scapegoat. I'm going to mess with you right here, okay? I'm going to mess with you folks. Because as we read, Scripture tells us 1 and 18 of Isaiah that though your sin is red as scarlet, be made white as snow. The Jewish history records in Talmud that not only do they tie the red string, Brother Jordan, around the goat, they would take the same crimson red thread and they would take it over to the door of the sanctuary. and They would tie it on. And they would let that goat pass out into the wilderness and walk its way and they released it. So some would say, so you're saying then that he sacrificed that, lamb, that, that ram to the demon of the wilderness. No. Matter of fact, if you read in chapter 17, it's so crazy to be that close in proximity in chapter 17 of... Uh, of Leviticus, Bishop, the scripture said that the children of Israel realized that they would no more sacrifice to, and this is an interesting word, when you break it down to 17th chapter of Leviticus, it said they would no more offer sacrifices to the goat God. what it said. They were aware of the presence of it, and they were aware that the wilderness was not a good place. But the true understanding of what went on here is that they offered the sacrifice to God, And then they took the sin of the people, they didn't kill it, they sent it out into the wilderness to the demonic forces of the wilderness where the sin belonged. And it was symbolic of saying, take it back. It's off my family. It's off my children. It's off of our people. It's off of our nation. Now we're not making a sacrifice to you. We are sending your trash back to you that you have sent to us. And we want you to know that the blood of the ram that's already been slain has reset the button on the tabernacle. We are clean and we are holy and we're ready for business. And you can take your junk and keep it. It's very interesting. Because Talmudic history leads us, leads us to understand. I, I don't know how God did some things. If You, you know, we're so crazy because we're so American. I don't even think we know what we're reading when we read the Urim and Thummim. Y'all, y'all don't even know how crazy that was. The things that God taught his people to deal with and how to deal in the will, we don't have a clue. But their history said... That they would tie that red string around the goat, send it out. And then they would tie a red string around the door of the tabernacle. And they said they knew when the goat had expired in the wilderness. Because the crimson thread on the door of the tabernacle was white. I'm going to mess with you big time. There was a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Ishmael. This said in the last 40 years from the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for us. He didn't say, I'm telling you that on the timeline. He said the last 40 years before the destruction of the temple, do the math, was in 70 A.D. Jesus Christ was crucified around 33 A.D. His numbers were the last 40 years before the destruction of the temple. He said that the red thread that we would tie on the door of the temple never turned white. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Sir, we need you to go back and look at the timeline. Because this Jesus whom you crucified... He ain't turning those scarlet reds white anymore. That's right. <laughs> Come on. They said it was very, very interesting that the doors of the temple, and he breaks it down, what it was made of. He said the doors of the temple were so heavy that it was a job for 20 men, 20 full grown men in the priesthood to get the doors closed. It took 20 men to close the doors of the temple. He said, but it was so weird on Yom Kippur the last 40 years before destruction. He said that that that, that scarlet thread stayed red and the doors of the temple opened on their own. This ain't my history. This is their history. He said, for some reason, a door that was so heavy, it took 20 men to close. We didn't quite understand it in the last 40 years of the temple. But the doors would swing wide on their own. I can tell you what it was, sir. The atonement... Has been made once and for all, and the doors of the temple swung open to let you know that its glory is not in a building. The realm of distinction has changed. It's not in a building. It's in His people. Uh-huh. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11 Oh God Christ Being come a high priest Of good things to come Somebody read that with me By a greater By a greater and more perfect tabernacle. I told Moses how to make the last one. But this one ain't made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. Verse number 12. Neither. Oh, my God. By the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us I want to tell you why the thread stayed red his blood has washed us white as snow stand I'm, I'm, I'm quitting I'm not anywhere close to done I, I want to tell y'all tonight that the doors are still open, yeah, open to the Holy of Holies and it's not just so that we can go in The scripture said that when he gave up the ghost, the sky grew dark and the veil was rent twain from top to bottom. And history records to us very plainly that Pompeius the Great Snuck in and went into that holiest of holies And he came out making fun of the Jews, Bishop And he said, I don't know why you're making such a big deal Over an empty room The Ark of the Covenant had not been in there since the captivity In other words, they were going through the motions But the God that believes in the realms of distinctions He let his people know My glory's not dwelling in that building And I have let it walk with you for 33 years and a half years but I loved it when he told John recorded he said I will not leave you comfortless I will come unto you again he said I will send my comforter can I tell you tonight that there is a realm of distinction between those that are filled with the Holy Ghost and those that are not we literally have become the tabernacle and the temple of the living God Why do you believe in separation, pastor? Why do you preach holiness? Because there's always been realms of distinction. And the closer you get, the more it costs. If I had six months, I'd finish. You can say it don't matter. You can act like we can just ignore it. I'm going to make some bold statements right here. And I want to tell you that the people who have disconnected themselves from realms of distinction are not building churches. They're building epicenters and cesspools of sin because you don't approach the most holy place with humanity getting the glory. Why do we look at Yom Kippur, Pastor? Why do, you, why do you, why do you, why does it even matter to us? Because this week I am reminded that tomorrow a lot of our brothers and sisters who are going to be brought in. I don't have time to go there. You heard me preach 144,000. But somehow you, you, you got to deal with all Israel to be saved or you don't. And I'm going to tell you that over the next several hours, there are going to be precious people that are rocking back and forth, that their tradition has told them the Messiah has not yet come. Brother McLean, they're going to be rocking back and forth, saying, "Come, Messiah. Come, Messiah. come Messiah." And the stories will be told more than likely, of scarlet threads and temple doors standing open but when the day of pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven and it became a realm of distinction It was a sound from heaven that filled an earthly house. Mm. They were all filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. i tell you tonight, brothers and sisters, the reason I'm looking at Yom Kippur and the reason why I'm separating myself unto the Lord and mourning in my spirit is for the people that have not yet realized that their atonement has been paid for. I pray tonight, and I don't mind saying it publicly and openly as loud as we can say it. I'm screaming, and I pray to God that it would echo across the Kidron Valley, over the walls of that city, that beautiful city. He has come. He has come, Bishop. He's given us life and life abundantly. It was his precious blood that dripped into the soil on that mountain that day. And it is his blood that has redeemed us from the law of sin and death. And it is his blood that has redeemed us and made us ready to be a temple where the Spirit of God can fill us with the Holy Ghost. If you want it tonight, I just want you to reach out and say, Lord, I thank you for atonement. It's time to get out of the wilderness. It's time to leave the demons of the wilderness alone. It's time to get back in the camp of God. It's time to let the scapegoat go. Leave it alone. Get it away from your family. Push it back out into the wilderness and get yourself back in the house of God.